Welcome to your dose of the Sideshow Hustle Podcast. Discovering world-class side hustles and the hustlers behind them. Tune in for exclusive interviews, tips, tricks, and pitfalls so you can learn, start, and win. Here's your host. Here's your host. Welcome to the podcast. And today we've got an indie author. Uh, she comes to her hustle with passion first. She has a series of romantic sci-fi paranormal fantasy novels and one of the series is called from the left hand adventures series with some titles of don't call me kitten a lick of immortality and my inner alien this is going to be an interesting one guys welcome to the podcast arwen jane thank you very much matt i guess for everybody listening what is your side hustle well, I, I suppose the side hustle is the writing. It's always been something I wanted to do. Uh, I suppose when, even when I was still working full time, I was around technology and got interested in blogging and websites and things like that. So I started journaling and that sort of led me to sort of thinking, well, there are authors out there that put their ideas in, into stories and make them entertaining. So I sort of thought... Why can't I do that? So I tried to model um, my first novel pretty much on writers that I really enjoyed. And I suppose that first novel was really formularised, you know, that you started out, set the scene and you have something in the middle that happens and then the finale and epilogue and just getting the, the practice of developing up characters and trying to make it interesting for people. And that first one, it was just really an exercise for me to see if it was possible. And I had a huge amount of learning to do, just working out how to get published as an indie author but uh, and get my head around all that technology. And for you, like initially, you didn't come at it from, I'll do this thing to make money. Like you came at it from a personal interest, enthusiasm. You just liked the medium and wanted to share, right? Yeah, I wanted to share. And I suppose also I have behind me a concept called Ubuntu, which is also called uh, contributism. The idea that uh, you contribute to society or to other people and they contribute to you. It's, it's that sort of pay forward idea. Your books, it's written for its craft and for its story for the whoever's writing it. But you've tried to tie in effectively messaging into the writing. Yeah, well, I think there's a, I'm an Australian author named Tracy Harding. Who I read very early on, travelling for work, uh, often in airports and things, you pick up uh, airport novels and I picked up one of her first ones and I thought that was brilliant and that sort of involved myths and a lot of new age concepts and things about, you know, manifesting you know, your reality, all, all those sort of things and, and she did it really well. So I sort of thought, yeah, that, that, that's certainly a way to go and it's much more interesting than a, a dry book to pick up. I mean, certainly there are people out there that are disciplined enough to sort of pick up a, a couple of hundred page book on philosophy or whatever and work their way through it. But I wanted to write for people like myself. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a good writer writes for people like herself or her, herself. You write what you're passionate about and what you'd like to read. Now, my next question, and I haven't asked you if we can go there, is about you said that you had an experience that you felt you learnt from that you wanted, that was part of the messaging that you wanted to put in. 
probably idealistically always wanted that enlightenment experience. But I, I sought out mystical experiences. Um, even when I was studying university, I, I had to do some extra units. So I did one on comparative religion and it, it went into you know, mystical experiences and, and compared them across, across different uh, cultures. So that, that sort of was always a fascination for me. Plants and diet and, and trying to be healthy has always been a fascination for me because of my uh, early health problems. When I sort of started coming across psychedelics, I sort of thought, well, I've got to stay within the law here. And the law is pretty strict there. I mean, what you can and can't consume. But anyway, I managed to have a, an experience and the I don't want to really encourage other people to take psychedelics unless they're, they're really well informed and preferably have someone to mentor them through the experience because dosage and uh, context and preparation are really key to such a thing. But anyway, I, I, I did it fairly carefully and tentatively but and not really expecting an experience that I had fasted the day before I used a lot of relaxation and, and meditation when I got up and just took a minute dose just to see what would happen with a minute dose. Listened to some binaural drumming music and for an hour or so I thought, well, you know, nothing's going to happen. And then, bang, it was like suddenly everything I identified with was gone. It was just, I was still there and I was still experiencing the world, but it was like there were no boundaries anymore, you know between myself and where I was at and with the people around me. So it was just a mind-blowing experience. Probably it impacted uh, everything in my life, especially my work, because, I mean, I couldn't you know, go back to work and sort of look at it through the same <laughs> eyes. I mean, I, I think that was the uh, final uh, straw. I mean, it took me a few more years to actually get out of, out of work and sort of wind down from doing that and get myself in a position where I could be independent. But, yeah, it's, it certainly changed my perspective on a lot of things. And so that when I started writing, I wanted to talk about that sort of connection that many of us don't have anymore with each other and, you know, with community and with landscape and nature. And, yes, yeah, yeah, all those sort of concepts that, that we miss because we've, we've become sort of isolated within our own individuality. And individuality is really good. We need that to develop. But at some stage, you know, if we pursue that too much, we can, well, become lonely in the soul, I suppose. I mean, yeah, the experience that you described is, it is fascinating because like I've noticed there's a lot more discussion out in the world now about those types of experiences, like in Harvard and its psychology department where they had like hundreds of participants, they do a, a guided experience. I think their, their drug of choice was psilocybin, so mushroom stuff, and it was all dosed out. And then they do like post interviews with these people and 80% described the experience as the most profound experience of their life with the remaining 20% having commentary, something like it was in the top five most profound events in their life. So like up against people getting married, having their first child, just all of life's big experiences. So it tells you it's a, it's a pretty powerful event and there's just more and more people experimenting with it. I class your experience highly fortunate because I've said to my wife, that's on my bucket list. I just don't know how to go about it. And I've, you know, I've got all the concerns that everybody else has. And I guess moving away from that part of it, if 
somebody's out there and they've got a, you know, that burning passion to write. And for whatever reason, whether in your case, there was an underlying message that you're trying to include the, there's a sense of, you know, community and connectedness. I think there's a sexuality in there. I think to say that some of your books are erotic is possibly an understatement. So, so some more than others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but again, that that was trying to challenge some of the taboos out there, which I, th- I think. I mean, there certainly are authors that that write that sort of stuff, but I, I suppose I wanted to write it in a more fun way. I have only put it in the novels where it's applicable to the story. Some authors, like Laurel K. Hamilton, use a lot of that in some of her books, but she'll only put it in if it strengthens the storyline. Authors have normally a lot of ideas. How, how did you sort of hone in and go, this is the idea for this particular book that I want to write? Like, I'm sure you had lots of ideas. And I guess around that, what's the process as well? Oh, well, it's, it's a funny story. One of these things that happens in life, me and a friend were due to go on a holiday and we got to the front gate and the plug fell out the radiator and the engine got boiled and then needed a rebuild. And I thought, well, I'm not going on holidays. I'm on holiday. What could I do? Oh, right. It just flowed out of me while, while you know, others were fixing engines. I was just going clatter, clatter, clatter on the keyboard. I certainly found a lot of inspiration in in some of the old Gnostic Gospels, especially Gospel of Thomas. And there's some mythologies that come out of that. And I thought, well, yeah, it's a little bit conspiracy theory-ish, but I thought, no, there's a good story format there and I could use that as the the backbone. And the idea of the goodies and the baddies, well, the, the baddies being demonic creatures that ran the world's economic empires and and the poor old good guys had been sort of lost the war a hundred thousand years ago and were trapped in stone. If I helicopter up for a second, it sounds that you're basically well read. You're obviously only reading the stuff that you enjoy and you get a format of how to put the story together. In terms of picking the idea, like do you write the title down and then try and put a story around it? Do you have a story in your mind already? No, no, the t- title's often uh, yeah, the hardest part. I- I've got that problem at the moment. I've, I've just written uh, my latest, got the drafts finalised for that. But I-, I knew the story. Well, I knew I knew the main character of the story and I knew that I wanted to write about uncertainty in this one, which seemed applicable with COVID and everything like that, and how she dealt with trauma, traumatic experience in her life and everything and adapted. I've really tussled on a a title for that one. Yeah, so I think for me the title and the cover and all that sort of, yeah, definitely comes last. The The story comes first. The story sometimes comes to me just like it flows out of me. At other times, it's it'll like drag its feet, like it wants me to learn something or read something or come across something before I can take it to the next stage. Yeah. So yeah, my the friend who often does help me with the editing, she sort of says it's like I'm journaling. I'm having to journal some of my own spiritual growth into the stories. Yeah, and certainly the people around me inspire me, and some of the amazing people that I meet. I mean, I wouldn't say I put them into the books exactly as, of course not, but yeah, they, they certainly. There's a lot happening in my life that you know goes into those books. For the original idea of you know, this particular book, you just start writing, like you're trying to think of like an opening scene, like it's a train and, you know, away you go, or 
have you kind of got a plot already worked out in your mind and now it's just a case of executing on that? I start out with a few headings. Yeah, that was especially, especially the way I wrote the first one. I did all the headings and then just basically filled it in. So I, I usually have an idea of what the scenes are going to be, but I won't have all the details in my head until I write it. And sometimes the characters will speak to me and they'll sort of say, no, 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 we want to do it this way. So, yeah, I don't argue with the characters. If they want to go a slightly different way to what I planned, yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, like the one I've just written, it's ended up being almost entirely based aboard a cargo ship. And at the time I thought, I know nothing about cargo ships. So I had to spend hours and hours on YouTube, you know, listening to blogs by people that worked and lived on ships, get my head around navigation, you know, some of the things that they, you know, that, the types of work that they do, some of the issues they face. So it was just like it's the story itself and the characters threw me into this whole learning curve. And I think it came about because at the time a good friend of ours passed away and he was really around all that maritime stuff and so were his children. And meeting them, some of them at the funeral and I sort of thought, yeah, they're interesting people. So that certainly inspired me. So your writing then, it sounds very therapeutic, like you're using the writing to unblock certain pathways, like you look in other things you're reading or conversations you have, people you meet, you're sort of picking up all this information that the universe is sort of throwing at you to basically move through some of the writer's block that you have where you get stuck. And then in other areas, it sounds like you've you've got the flow on the go. Do you get obsessive about it where like you wake up first thing in the morning and you're, you're in the middle of a scene or something and you just want to get get that out? Oh, yes, definitely. Sometimes I, I, do, I just have to go and hit it and, and, I, and I've got to sit at the computer and get, get it out before I lose it. Yeah, because sometimes your best ideas come either at three in the morning or or maybe that six to seven in the morning when I'm not quite fully awake. Or if we're, if we're going for a long trip somewhere and I'm sitting a passenger in the car and the mind will drift, and I think, oh yeah, that's that's I've got I've got to write that. Do you capture notes as you go, or are you just sort of get in front of a computer and just start writing it up as you go? No, no. Sometimes for a couple of days, I'll, I'll toss the plot around in my head and just see if there's anything, any other angles on it. It's it's almost three dimensional. Like yeah, you know, I'm sort of seeing you know. Well, what does that do? How do? Where does that lead? And and I, I play out the uh, dialogue that they might be having in my head a few times before I'll actually hit the keyboard. It's like I'm watching a sci-fi movie and so I might watch it a couple of times before I put it on the keyboard. Do you use any other tools? Like I know that there are some authors out there that they use technology to sort of systemize a lot. So they'll, they track characters and traits of characters and elements of the plot, they track all of this in bits of software to make sure that it's always tied up? Or are you largely just working off your memory and just writing out the story? Mostly working off my memory of the characters, but sometimes if I'm working with someone else, I might for them have to write down that what the, a bit about each character so they know. And you know, with a, a long series like the Left Hand Left Hand Adventures series, I did have to sort of you know do a bit of a, a dot pointing on who the characters were at the at the back of the book for people that might have forgotten. And I'm reading one at the moment I really enjoy, uh, and they just have little snippets that repeat through each of the books. You know, you know that of the person's character. You may be their cat, all these sort of quirky things. Uh, and it's good to have, you know, a few quirks about each of your characters that uh, that you can come back to. Sort of builds the familiarity. Mm, yeah, definitely. 
in terms of the technology that you use to write the books, are you using any specialized software? Are you just using Microsoft Word? Like if there's someone out there, it's like, oh, I've got this idea. I've sort of, I've got my why do I want to do it? So it could be passion. They're interested in it. It's linked to a hobby or a career or partner or need or financial that's driving. I don't know. And they've sort of picked the course of action. They've like, okay, now it's time to put words to paper. In terms of the technology stack that you use to capture your story, what do you use? I, I started out using OpenOffice.org, but very early on in one of my stories, I, uh, something went wrong somewhere and I, I lost 50 pages, which I had to redo. And I, so I found working in the cloud, that saves stuff. And I back then I back it up and then I back it up onto another drive. So I've got quite anal about doing my backup so I don't lose anything. But yeah, I, I use sort of Google Drive or Google Docs as it's now called. And, and that's got better over time. And in fact, it's now got quite good as far as showing you where you've got spelling mistakes or you, know, you might change the grammar and things like that. So that saves me and anyone who's working with me on the editing side a, a lot of time, which is good. Pretty available, you know, cheap slash free tools to capture content. And then... Yeah, well, that, that's been a necessity for me. I mean, I know some people work in fairly expensive software and, and that makes their job easier. But now I've virtually had to go down, because I'm doing it as a hobby, I've had to go down the cheap and inexpensive paths. So yeah, I'm using things, free tools like Sigil. Sigil I use to sort of check that the, if it's in a ebook format, that it's reading right. I'll use Calibre, which is an ebook management system. And it's a good way of putting together your titles and, and your book cover and everything, bundling it all up for an ebook format. Because, of course, all the different indie author sites, you know, that, that you might publish to like Google Playbooks or you might uh, publish to Kindle or Smashwords is useful because it puts it out to Barnes & Noble and Apple, but they all have different requirements. <laughs> so for one, I might have to do a PDF, one I might have to do a Word doc, one I might have to do an EPUB format. It is getting easier, and I think they are standardising things more over time, and I've been doing this now for 10 years. So I have seen a lot of improvements from the author's perspective. In terms of the platforms, the ones you just listed, you, you do self-publish to all of those? Yeah, yeah. Like There are advantages probably in getting out to as many sites as you can. If, you, if you're not after much fuss and bother, I suppose, Kindle is an easy way to go because it's easy to publish to that. It's easy to you know, use their, their marketing uh, to get worldwide distribution. And if you dedicate your stuff just to them, then you can get some arrangements through Amazon Prime and get some, you know, that actually reduces your, the cost of your book to zero for, the, for Prime subscribers and things like that. So they get you a few more subscribers. But I haven't gone down that path yet. I might in the future, but at the moment I, I go to get it out as broadly as I can. Smashwords is good because it distributes it widely. Kindle ha has now, they used to have a separate arm for doing the paperback. And I, mean, I, don't, I don't find a lot of my readers use the paperback version, but it's there if they want it. It's very tempting for a lot of people to try to view success or failure of these of you know, writing and, and self-publishing through the lens of like, pro just straight up profit. But because your original 
reason for doing it wasn't financially related. I mean, I'm sure that any money that comes in is nice and possibly validation. What does success look like for you? It's it's quite a different mindset to put together the paperback because you've got to have your margins and you've got to work out how the book opens and things like that. The, fortunately, they have templates and things you can use. But you know, I find I tend to use their template as a model and then set up my own, own template. For you, the success isn't necessarily, it's not financial at all. It's probably getting to the point where you can write the end and so that it's it's written and you've written it for yourself and it would be something that you would read and you, you have that sense of achievement for it. And then the second part is, I guess, like you've probably got like an inner circle of people that you like to share it with. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's nice. So through the books, you've managed to build community, like relationships with the people that are reading your material. Well, I, I suppose as, uh, quite a few of the books have had several thousand readers, but I always worked on the principle of, you know, like the six degrees of separation. If you could write one thing that influenced someone positively and uh, inspired them in some way and they passed that on to six others, that, that was my concept, you know, just get it out to a few people and sharing ideas really in a fun way. I don't know if you remember this, but if you cast your mind all the way back to when you hit the button and you first published the first book. Oh, that was the scariest moment. Yeah, absolute scariest. And so I thought, oh, will anyone read this? Have I wasted my time? Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just just getting the first download, but quite a few downloads. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, this will work. But had you... Had you built any audience in the lead up to this? Because I'm assuming we're going back, I'm going back like five years, 10 years to the first. Oh, 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. I know. I know. As I say, it, it happened. I mean, I, I'd always wanted to write, but it was just, you know, this, this accident, not accident, but the car breaking down and not being able to go on a the holiday and suddenly having all this time. And so I thought, right now or never, yeah, do it. So from that moment, your car breaks down, you're writing the first book to clicking the button for publish, how, how long was that? Oh, it was only a couple of weeks, that first one. It just, it just flew out of me. It was like a story I've been waiting all my life to write, I think. <laughs> you hit the button and the audience, you know, 10 years ago, there, was there Facebook around? M maybe just, but probably not for me. Oh, yeah. Fa face Facebook was around, but Facebook wasn't, uh, you, you didn't have like author pages on Facebook so much back then. Where did you find those first few customers? Oh, well, mo mostly through Amazon the first, first time. You can make it free for a certain while and they market the ones that are free and that just got picked up by people reading it. Now with Smashwords, yeah, they have a good site for authors where you can put up a bit of information about you know, yourself and uh, what you're trying to do. And a lot of the sites allow people who like your book, one of your books, to become a follower. And so they get notification when you put out another one. So that, that all helps. But I, I think with the first one, I, I, I was a bit optimistic. I thought, oh, you know, use, you know, get some marketing. And I, I did pay a little bit here and there for marketing, but I, I didn't find it achieved much. I think most of those sites just are there <laughs> to, to get what they can out of authors. So, yeah, word of mouth is. Okay, so I get on that point, what sort of, like you paid some money for some marketing for them to do something and it didn't really work. Like, what was it that you paid for and it didn't? Oh, just, you know, like, you know, banner space or an ad ad space, pretty generic stuff. But uh, no, I've found word of mouth has worked better. And once I've got the paperback version done, I'll, I'll get some copies of that printed out. 
And when I do go caravanning around the place, nomading over winter, or hand one out to someone, it might sounds like they might be interested. And have a read of this. You know, if you don't like it, pass it on to someone else. Yeah, you know, that's got me a few fans that way. Oh, when's your next one coming out? So yeah, it's good. Yeah, okay. So it's like a long, slow burn, I guess. Like over the decade, this all starts adding up as well. Yeah. If you cast your mind back to the first book, Carl's broken down, you're stuck at home on holidays, you're writing out this book. When you look back at that and you go, oh, it's quite serendipitous how it happened. You've stumbled into an area that you like. Do you wish you started earlier or do you feel that you had to go through all the life's experiences to get to the point where you actually did start or if you'd have a do-over? Yeah, the, the latter. I mean, certainly, I mean, I, I, I had some, like I was working in a clothes shop uh, after I'd left nursing and it was, it was sort of like up a back alley and no one come in the shop. So yeah, I, I scribbled a half of the story back then, but then I never got any time to finish it. And then I I wrote a few short stories for um, a pagan newsletter until they, they told me that they were getting a bit long and maybe I should think about writing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I kept those, but I haven't done anything more with them. But uh, they might ferment a, a novel of their own one day, but um, or two. So you wish that you started earlier, though? I wanted to, but I don't think I, I was ripe for it. And I, I think I, I had to have that experience of connection, you know, the mystical experience to do. With the experience, do you sort of view your life through the lens of before and after? Yeah, I, I think I probably do. It just put everything in perspective, I suppose. You know, it made made you re- well, made me realise, you know, some things just weren't important. So you've written the book, you've got a few sales, you've gone and gone on to write more books and you've sort of fallen into a series, The Left Hand Adventures. Are you expecting to do more in that series or is, are you moving? To- that one, that one f- finished and then I went on and wrote the uh, Martian Vampire Chronicles that was sort of like a spin-off out of the first series. That was a fun thing where life had suddenly started again on Mars and, again, a lot of fun writing those and uh, you know, the premise being that there, there had been an original race of beings on Mars but, you know, that they'd got clobbered by a comet and atmosphere had got ripped away and uh, they'd had to go underground and run out of food and then turned into vampires to feed on, you know, feed on blood and that they'd been looked after by these androids. But yeah, that, other than that, there was no no life left on Mars until it restart, rebooted. And, you know, that was sort of, sort of the launch, launch point for those. And yeah, that, a lot of fun writing those. Have you had any issues with the moving forward with ideas or do you feel that like there's just this constant evolution that's just slowly burning away, dropping you a new idea whenever you need it? Yeah, I think the universe tells me when it's got another story that it wants me to write. I got to the end of the one I've finished at the moment and I sort of thought, well, is this going to become another new series or what's going to happen with it? And I got a definite yes, especially with some stuff I was looking at at, at the time, which uh, listening to you know, podcasts and things at night time about, about energies in the earth and how they affect people and how they might have been utilised in the past. And, oh, there's just an immense amount of stuff there that can be used. In terms of pricing the books, do you, like, it sounds like you have a little bit of control over the pricing, whether it's free to build up your readership. So that's like one of the marketing things you basically go free on to try and build up some readership. But then pricing them from there, what is your strategy around seeing price? 
I've tried to sort of up the price occasionally just to test the market, but uh, I find that, uh, yeah, I just lose readership if I put the price up. So, yeah, most of the sites I put out on, I have to go with their minimum price. Well, I don't have to, but their minimum price is either 99 cents. Some of the sites like Smashwords, you can make it free, but uh, obviously, yeah, places like Amazon wants you want you to charge something so that they get a commission. There's different commission models that you can look at. With paperbacks, yeah, I've basically got to cover the cost of the printing. So I'd you know, put a minimum pricing on that to, to cover my costs. You probably are setting pricing in a way that is more attractive to building readership. So back to the whole reason for doing it, it wasn't necessarily about building a behemoth of a catalogue that's going to make you millions of dollars a year. No, no, I'm unlikely. I, I joke about one day being a New York Times bestselling author, but probably not. Maybe someday HBO will ring me up and want film rights to these. You know. If you're seeking an extrinsic reward for what you're doing, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. I prefer to be intrinsically motivated from inside, writing from what I know, writing what I enjoy, reading myself, you know, what I'm passionate about. And my enjoyment is in the doing, which is part of my spiritual practice, really, or part of my self-improvement practice. Not being goal-focused, you're not being worried about the end result. There's probably a caveat there, though, that although maybe not being totally goal-focused, that you are persistent at it, because otherwise, if someone approached it without any goals, they might have writing projects that stretch on for years and end up nowhere. Well, I think if I didn't have fans that were giving me some validation, I, I probably would over time think I'm wasting my time. But the fact that there are a few people out there that really do enjoy the books, I thought, I've got readership, I'll keep them happy, you know? So you derive a lot of value from the community that you're building. It's, it's almost more important for you to have community than it is for this to be a major side hustle that's bringing in money. It'd be nice. It would be very nice. But... Very hard. I've got a guy I talked to one day in a car. We were coming back from work job and he said, oh, I've got a novel, you know, I've got a, got a book I'd like published and it was about surfing. And I said, well, you know, this is how you can do it. But he was definitely after sales and I, th I think he, he was disappointed. He only sold about eight, eight books. So from, from the effort of going through, putting it up on Amazon and everything. So, yeah. It's, it's very hard. To, and also I've found with going around like local bookshops and things like that, if you're an indie author, they don't want to know you. Absolutely not. So a lot, a lot of the bookshops are there to, as an outlet for the big publishing companies. Well, that's been what I've, I've found anyway. Of the books you've written, if someone was just coming in kind of cold, which book would you sort of steer them to first? Oh, I think the one that the fans vote their feet, you know, with their feet. The one that everyone loves is uh, My Inner Alien, which I, I wrote in the first person about an, an annoying journalist. I suppose having come from a, a media background myself, I found it easy to talk about the television media side of things and so yeah I, I pulled her yeah memories of various people and uh, yeah I mean it had area 51 in it it had bioprinting it had all that sort of new age stuff and uh, yeah it, it was it was a great great one to write a very funny one to write and and obviously the readers enjoy it the the book that you're proudest that I'm proudest of oh I suppose it's always the last one I've written though I did write one about uh, a mathematician Ideally imperfect. And she'd started out in a previous novel as a, a really fraught personality, but she 
she found her redemption in that one. But it, it dealt with quite a few taboo issues, I suppose, that book. But I, I thought it was a, like the concept of, you know, she was sort of mentoring her friend to get into engineering instead of a life of crime and that whole thing of, you know, how literacy and numeracy is important in out there as an adult learner and where that sort of led to her helping out on Mars with all the alien technology and things like that. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. I suppose there's there's one I wrote about uh, you know, where the lady has ladies and basically an octogenarian heroine. Yeah. That, that was quite good. The plane crashes in South America. They get uh, caught up by the, with the baddies, but, you know, manage to escape and go through this portal and meet up with the Tibetans. So it's, it's all very fanciful stuff, but it, it takes you on a journey. What's changed from that first book, On Holidays with a Broken Down, to how you write now? Like, is there any tips or tricks in that process that you feel speeded up, give you a superior product? You know, any advice that you got from the editor along the way that you feel is like really important and helps someone get a better product out? Yeah, well, I suppose first up, I was a bit worried about the fact that I'm Australian and whether my Australian English in the book would be an issue. And I suppose the first book I tried to Americanize as much as I could, but I don't think that's an issue. I did, you know, take take a lot of learning from the fact that my inner alien was so popular and also the the vampire president and the headmistress and sort of looking at what was really successful there that that they might have liked. I did write my inner alien in the first person and I know some people suggest that when you're starting out that writing in the first person is a good way to go because it gets you thinking through all the feelings and things that are going on. It does constrain you a little bit because you can't give what the other person's thinking so easily, but you, you can sort of step into another chapter. You give the different person's perspective. There's a whole controversy out there in the writing world about what they call head hopping, and some authors do it all the time where you, you're getting one person's perspective you know, that, and then someone else's, and it can be confusing for the reader. So you know, just writing as a beginner in the first person is a way to – Keep it simple, and I think keep it fun, light-hearted. Use use the quirky phrases you've heard people use around you. You know the the brilliant sayings you've learnt over time. Just everything in life can inform, you know, and make it just give you a finer texture. What you are for you? Are there any skills that you feel that you have that are important for doing this kind of work? Like, I guess for, for people listening, they're going to be looking at like whatever your answer is. Do I have those skills? The hardest thing for me has been punctuation, and my editor would agree with that. I've virtually had to learn how best to use quotes, you know, where you put the comma, where you put the full stop within the quotes, outside the quotes, you know, and all that sort of stuff gets your punctuation right. And so if you've never got your head around your punctuation and come through high school, you know, unfortunately I went through an era in schooling where they sort of they sort of tried to make it easy for people and they didn't do some of that uh, grammar. So I had to learn grammar late in life. But there are courses out there and there's a lot of good stuff online to help you. So it's, you know, you can get a style guide you know, for your country. So if somebody has issues in that area, mm. would you say that they should just write their story out, screw the grammar or and fix it later? Or like, yeah, definitely. And, or try and in, interrupt their process to get the grammar right up front. No, no, just write it first. Write, writing's the most important thing. Get down, write your story, 
And if you're going to do it properly, you'll be reading through the story several times before you put it out to try and catch that one bit of continuity error or something that you missed. So you've got plenty of time to flesh things out. And often looking back over what you've written, you you can sort of see, well, that's an awkward way of saying that. I'll I'll just reword that. And a good tip that I was taught was if you're not sure, read it out loud. Yeah. Because something might sound right when it's written on the page, but it will sound really awkward. You should be able to use it as a storyteller. I mean, if you read something like The Hobbit, he's there, he's a storyteller. He's talking to you particularly, just you, the reader, no one else, and he's telling you about this Hobbit. And you get that, you know, it's it's personal. So you, you get away from all those sort of, sort of hard constraints with the writing. You just write as you would speak. You sort of mentioned it earlier about putting in quirks and stuff for the characters. That real eye for detail is quite important to the reader to have those themes flowing throughout to help develop up the characters? Yeah, you've got to, you've got to know the personality of the characters and you really have to get to know your characters. You know, And I guess with as a writer, there's always a little bit of yourself that goes into every character, even if they're bad characters. But yeah, you should be able to loosely identify with the character and, and know what they're going to think or say next. I'm kind of putting on the spot here, but one thing that seems important to you is building community. It seems that really it drives your purpose for writing and you thrive on the connection to the people. Are there any tips that you have for building better communities? Like for an author that's sort of just starting out, there might be a teacher, an accountant, someone in technology. Well, I, I suppose I was particularly lucky in that my last job was in an education type field and then that I knew a couple of people who had side hustles as editors or wanted to. I knew people that were literacy trainers and a lot of people that were pretty encouraging including uh, my boss at the time who knew I wanted to get out of work. Now I remember him saying to me one day, now you need to do some training this year. And I said, no, I've done all the training I want to do. What I want to do in the future is is writing. Yeah, can I do a plain English course? Or can I you know, do something on about publishing? And yeah, he agreed. So I, th- I think I said at the time it helped that a couple of his staff were all sorts of saying, we don't need to do any more training for what we do. So yeah, I, I had a lot of support from the people I knew. In terms of the audience, though, and, and the, that community, I feel like that's kind of your production community, like you're producing this book, you're putting the editors together, and in terms of the, the audience part of the community, is there any sort of tips or tricks there for like how people can sort of accelerate their building of an audience? Well, I think, yeah, the obvious one is use your friends first and give copies, because you can get cheaper copies of your books as author copies. You get those in bulk from Amazon if you're using Amazon to publish your paperback. Give your, give your friends copies and, and they'll pass them on to people they know and so on. If, you, if you've got a friendly secondhand bookshop or, you know, that might, you know, on-sell your books at a discount rate, they're, they're a good asset because I knew a lot of book vendors and they're always a lot more friendly than the mainstream bookshops who don't know you from, you know, whoever. So yeah, you use who you know and then you, you get out on as many things as you can. You get out on Twitter and Facebook and get you, make, make sure you've got a blog. Get yourself out there as many places as you can. Get people. I, I find even just that little bit of marketing does help pick up quite a few downloads. I guess you're building avenues for where people can find you and build community. Yeah, and then you get followers and those followers will then read your stuff and pass it on to, you know, mention it to other people. 
And if your stuff's yeah. good enough, they, they will tell other people about it. And that's, that's yeah. the real test, you know. Is it something that other people want to read? Do you close out the story or do you leave like a part of it to flow into the next story? A bit of both. Uh, with Certainly with the one I've just written, yes, it's I, I leave, left it entirely up in the air. I don't like cliffhangers and I think cliffhangers are a mean thing to do to <laughs> your uh, readership or viewers. But yeah, you can give a hint that there's another adventure to come, certainly. And I, I think the other thing I'm not, I'll just sort of say, the other thing I hate in books is where they, they make women silly or that, you know, have to be rescued. So I make, make sure all my heroines are capable people. We've kind of walked all the way through the process, sort of final words. Someone is, they feel they've got a book in them. They've thought about it. They've never really bitten the bullet. Like, do you have any advice for them about how to start? and you know the best way to find success i think it's called kick your family out of the house for the day sit down the computer and start writing what are the chapter headings of your novel and start filling it in and um, get a good cup of tea in front of you and whatever you like to nibble on while you're doing it and just sit there and do it start getting the friends around you to help you and support you while you're doing it so bloody mindedness determination and basically you just start doing it. Yeah, well, it's not going to happen unless you put finger to the keyboard. Do you have any final words? Have fun. I think that that would be my motto. Well, that comes to the end of the podcast. I wanted to say thank you very much for taking the time out of your evening. It's been a very amazing chat. I, I could chat to you about the experience that you had for a lot longer, but I think for anyone that's sitting on the fence, they've got a, a fairly good understanding of the process you went through and where you went. And we'll post into the show notes where people can find you if they want to join the Arwen Jane community. Yeah, that'd be great. Once again, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Matt. Very much appreciated.